Welcome to Nightbird Radio. I'm Tim Saylor, and I'm going to be your host this evening as we navigate the nocturnal, sound out the subconscious, and explore the farthest reaches of our experience. Coming to you from the Mogollon Rim, deep in the bosom of the Kali Yuga, this is Radio for the Hauntological Turn. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Nightbird Radio Podcast. I hope you're having a great time in this particular apocalypse. I sure know I am. We're going to continue where we left off last episode, talking about some of my experiences. I've got some more for you. Hopefully these get even a little bit weirder. You can really see who you're talking to. Early on after I'd gotten sober, I had this dream about my grandpa Vern, who died in 1998. I remember that we were driving in his red van, and he was telling me that he was proud of me. We went over a bump in the road, and in my dream I could feel the bump as though the wheel was my foot. As I woke and my day got going, the dream slipped away as dreams do. I didn't have a car at the time, and I only worked a few miles away from my place, so I walked to work. I had a nice little sit spot in the community garden next to the restaurant I was cooking at. I smoked cigarettes back then, too, and I would sit there before work and have a smoke. So that day, when I finished my smoke and I was walking back to work, I stepped on a big stick and immediately remembered my dream, and the way the bump felt was exactly the way the stick had felt under my foot. So with the dream fresh on my mind, I walked into work. The song that was playing on the radio at work was one that came out one of the summers we would go up there to Michigan to visit my grandparents as kids. And I vividly remember listening to it on the radio while riding with my grandpa in his red van. This brings me to something I'd like to talk about a little bit later in the show. So I'm going to really hammer it home with another story. The reality of the ancestors and the presence of the dead... One time I sent a clip from the Eric Andre show to a friend of mine. In this clip, Eric Andre is in a packed New York City subway car doing a bit. If you aren't familiar with the show, it's a hidden camera show where the host will go in public and do some really off-the-wall stuff. The real people's reactions are a part of what makes the show so funny. But his performances are great, too. So at the end of the clip, the camera is focused on the reaction of one confused man in his 50s or so, who stares at Eric Andre's performance incredulously. A few minutes after I send my friend the video, he texts me back to tell me that he just watched the video I sent him with a friend of his from New York, and that his dad, who had died a year ago, is the guy at the very end of the clip. His friend had been feeling really down and missing his dad, but this had definitely made him feel like his dad wasn't gone and that he was reaching out and saying hello to him from beyond. I mean, is there any other way to describe that? So let's get even weirder. Another thing I'd like to discuss a little bit later in the episode is the topic of Gnosticism. Gnosticism, dismissed by early church fathers as a heresy, is thought by others, myself included, to be the OG Christianity before it was co-opted by the empire. Again, I will go into it more later in the episode. For this story, however, it's important to know that a common feature of Gnosticisms is the belief that the creator god of the Old Testament is not the highest form of divinity, but a blind demiurge. The demiurge is unable to see the reality of a higher god, and so says, 
there is no other before me. Beside the many ethnic pogroms and other war crimes committed by or ordered by Jehovah, there are also examples like the murder of the sons of Judah, um, just a few of many murders committed by God himself, as well as the murder of Job's family for a wager done by the devil with Jehovah's permission. It was exactly these types of things that a good friend and I were talking about one night when my phone went berserk. I had pulled it out to check the time, and when I looked at the screen, it was glitching out with this weird multicolored sort of static. It was bright, too, and my friend even noticed and commented, that's weird. Then it flashed a few times, and it was back working again. But it was on a search engine results page. I hadn't pulled one up. Maybe it happened in my pocket? But there was something typed into the search bar. Two names. Keziah Dinah. I wasn't familiar with the names. I knew they were biblical, though. The first two search results were social media profiles, but the third took me to a Jewish women's history site. Keziah and Dinah are the wife and daughter of Job, but the entry itself was about the apocryphal first wife of Job, an Arab woman named Uzit, who performed manual labor to support the family while Job covered himself in ashes and wept and moaned in the desert. Satan torments Uzit until she sells her hair for bread, and she eventually dies in the animal stalls that she is working in to support their family. And then, somewhere along the line, her story was deemed apocryphal. Insult to injury, right? So how many other biblical women were condemned to damnatio memoriae? Why was the tragic story of Uzit beamed to my phone from another dimension? And who was doing the beaming? I'm also responsible for such amazing feats as predicting that the mop head was going to be changed at work the next day. Who said every weird thing has to be significant or even make sense? But I think this one is more common than even I might think. So I was working at the same restaurant I mentioned before, and one night I had a dream where my boss said, change the mop head, change the mop head. And sure enough, the next day at work, we were getting ready to close, and my boss called back from the dining room. Hey, let's change the mop head. Or who hasn't dreamed about seeing a friend, only to run into that friend or hear from them the very next day? There's a saying I've picked up on my journey, though I can't for the life of me remember from who or where. But it goes like this. God isn't in the world. The world is in God. These kind of experiences have a place in the world when I think this way. I'm not trying to cram my experience into a specific religion or theology, though I know they'd fit just right into any I might choose. But rather, my goal is to let my cosmology be revealed to me through my experience. When I really look at my life and seek the magic, more and more memories keep coming in. And the more memories flood in, the more magic floods in too. And that's when I realize that this is a truly magical life. Has it always been thus? And I'm just now coming to see it? 
or is magic flooding back into the world from where it was thought to have been banished by empire? The word gnosis, from which the words agnostic and prognosis are also derived, means knowledge. I like to use the more active knowing. It's something I do, not something I have. A better way to live my life, remembering who I am and what I'm here to do. Part of knowing who I am is knowing who I came from, and that required me getting in touch with my ancestors. The most transformative spiritual practice I've come across on my quest is the practice of ancestor veneration. Who better to pray to than the people I'm made of? Who better to understand my struggles, my fears, my desires, my dreams? The separation from our ancestors that has come as a result of materialism is profoundly tragic. In his essays on Lucifer and Ahriman, Steiner writes, Men today have succumbed to a strange fallacy. They do not believe that the spirit can be eaten, and yet the very ones who say this do eat the spirit. Although they may refuse to accept anything spiritual, Nevertheless, with every morsel that passes through the mouth into the stomach, they are devouring the spiritual, but dispatching it along a path other than the path which leads to the real well-being of mankind. If I can be forgiven for thinking that there might be some ill intent behind this particular alienation, let me put it this way. For what amounts in my mind to an ontological version of the destruction of Alderaan, I really can't help but look for a Death Star. Which brings me again back to Gnosticisms and another of their defining characteristics, the reality of the rulers. The Archons are cited in Gnosticism as the true powers that control this world. So let me unravel this by asking, if the God of this world is at best ignorant and at worst cruel, then what does that say for the powers and authorities that hold dominion over this world? What would the lieutenants of a god like that be like? Would they pour their malice and power into growing authoritarianism, class warfare, rampant and pervasive propaganda, war? Or maybe they would do something like, say alienating you from the practices that are your birthright as a human being, causing you to feel miserable, unmoored, disconnected, and then swoop right in with weaponized medication designed to make you forget about the great emptiness that is within you. That emptiness within is where the true God resides, waiting. For me, this realization... This gnosis came as good news of great joy. In my lowest moment, when I was completely empty, I took the advice of Miguel Connor, one of the Gnostic revealers in my life, and I called out to Sophia. To the Gnostics, she is the mother of all gods, wisdom, 
the divine feminine that had been missing from the Christianity of my youth. She who gathers the sparks of light from the sea of forgetfulness and gathers us home to the realms of light. When there was nowhere else for me to go but back to the land of death, when there was no move to make but total surrender, I prayed a simple prayer. I said, Sophia, save me. And that was the day I was separated from those addictions that were not only destroying my life, but hurting my family and the people I care about. She delivered me from those addictions. Sure, there was a lot more work to be done, but I wouldn't be alone. One more note about Gnosticisms, because this isn't just a pet interest of mine, but I think this way of engaging with the world is more important now than ever. The way I see it, Gnosticism exists as a way of being with empire, without being engulfed by it. Philip K. Dick wrote in Vallis, To fight the empire is to be infected by its derangement. Whoever defeats the empire becomes the empire. It proliferates like a virus. Thereby, it becomes its enemies. So I want to add that the empire and the archons who support it don't seem to have the imagination that it takes to envision a world in which their enemies will refuse to meet them with open force. It's kind of like how in The Lord of the Rings, Sauron couldn't conceive of a plan to destroy the ring because he couldn't conceive of anyone refusing to use it and its power. They expect you to fight them so that you may swell their ranks. So what is one to do when the powers that be employ the two-party grift, when the media narrative becomes inhospitable to anyone who refuses to hate their enemy, when every call to action is a call to arms. My answer there is that I tend to my own divine spark. I nourish it and fan its flames and keep it burning bright so that maybe that spark will kindle a fire in others. It's another aspect of Gnosticisms that I hold dear, the importance that's placed on freedom and personal revelation. I can't directly transmit the Gnosis to you. I can't tell you and then make it happen for you. You have to discover it for yourself. We all have to discover it for ourselves. The true happiness, the true Gnosis, it can only come from within and can never come to us top-down from governments or from gurus or from the next corporation trying to sell you happiness or wholeness in the form of a pill or a powder. So there it is. Maybe just the tip of the iceberg for my experience, but certainly me laying a lot on the table for you. Hopefully that makes you a little more comfortable with coming on here and sharing with me. These have been a little short, but I hope to transition into full-length, hour or so long episodes as we get some of you Nightbirds on to talk about your experiences. So if you'd like to share with us, please visit nightbirdpodcast.com. Get in touch with me. 
And we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear about your experience. I'd love to have you on the show and talk to you. Until next time, thanks for listening to Nightbird Radio. We fly by night.